Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Pregnancy is usually a happy, healthy event. However, some women experience complications or suffer from chronic conditions in pregnancy that threatens their well-being as well as that of their baby. What factors determine if pregnancy is high risk? And what can you do to have the healthiest pregnancy possible? I'm Sean Donishman, perinatologist at the San Diego Perinatal Center, and this is Preggy Pals episode 42. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant, and I have to exercise. What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? <laughs> Gotta make these pants I've got kinkles! What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms, and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Sunny Galt. Have you downloaded our amazing Preggy Pals app? This is a free way to listen to all of our shows on the go, whether you're waiting in line at the grocery store or at your next OB appointment. Did you miss an older episode of Preggy Pals? Then join the Preggy Pals Club. You'll get access to all of our archived episodes, transcripts, and special bonus content after each show. Our club members even get a one-year free subscription to Pregnancy Magazine. Visit our website for more information and to sign up. Okay, let's introduce our panelists here in the studio. Like I said, my name is Sunny. I'm not pregnant, but I do have two little boys at home. I have a -a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I have a little boy who is nine months old. Jennifer, what about you? My name is Jennifer, and I have a almost two and almost four, and then I am 20 weeks pregnant right now. Oh, awesome. And Dr. D is our special guest. He is our special expert today. Dr. D, you have kids? I have one daughter have one who's eight daughter. years old, Natalie. Yeah. All right. There's the sunshine in my life. Yes, yeah. of course she is. Okay, well, thank you guys for joining us on our show today. Thanks for having us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Making headlines around the internet, here's a headline that I found. It's called Oopsies Babies, and it says a third of U.S. births are unintended according to a recent study, and I want to get your guys' feedback on this. It says the findings showed in a total of 37.1% of pregnancies in 2006 to 2010 that those pregnancies were unintended, and the rate in 1982 was 36.5%, which means that rate rose to 39.1% in 1988 before falling to 30.6% 
1995. Now, I know that's a lot of numbers, <laughs> but I think it's just safe to say that despite all of the education that we have out there, that there's still so many oopsies babies. So I kind of wanted to get your guys' take on that. First of all, did you have any oopsies babies? Were all your babies planned? And what do you think about the study? Jennifer? Yes, I've had two oopsies babies. <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> well, how oopsies? Because there's different levels of oopsies, right? Well, um, with my first, we definitely planned it. It was actually the first time we tried. There she conceived. We conceived her. And then I had been nursing her. I had one menstrual cycle. And then, boom, we had a surprise. And oh my goodness. You're like <laughs> fertile myrtle over oh here. My goodness. Yes. <laughs> and it was pretty much the same story with the this one as well. Oh <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So you weren't even really trying and it happened right away. Yes. Wow. That's wonderful. I have to say I'm a little bit jealous because with my first, so again, two little boys, and with my first, we had to do some fertility stuff. And uh, we tried on our own for about a year, and then I did some minor fertility. I didn't have to do IVF or anything, but I did Clomid. And it took even four or five months on Clomid, you know, in order for it to finally take and for us to get our little Clomid baby. Um, But then it was funny. We thought we were going to have to go through the whole thing over again. And um, so we weren't really practicing not to have a baby, (laughs) to put it lightly. And um, yeah, it was just an amazing thing that we got pregnant. We're like, are you serious? We did not think it was going to be this easy. And you hear about that. You hear about, oh, your body recognizes what it's like to be pregnant. And then it's like a switch. Mm -hmm, Is mm -hmm. is there any accuracy to that, Dr. D? Not. I mean, there's not really been any studies on that, but we hear that all the time. Patients go through IVF, they have a successful IVF pregnancy, and then subsequent pregnancies, they get spontaneously pregnant. So yeah, we hear this all the time. We see it. So your daughter, was your daughter planned or was she an oopsie? You know, my daughter, we weren't planning, but you know, first try, we got lucky and we got pregnant. And, uh, you know, we had some complications with Natalie at, you know, 29 weeks, we had a placental abruption. She delivered at 34 weeks, but you know, thankfully she's doing very well. And all the, all the concerns we had are uh, no longer there, so we're very lucky. Yeah. Were you already a perinatologist when that happened? I was, and I'm you the one were... who actually made the diagnosis, unfortunately. You know, it, wow. it was Thanksgiving, and, you know, Marge said, you know, my wife said, you know, what do contractions feel like? I said, well, you know, this is how it feels like. Let's go to the office, just take a look at your cervix, and we did. And I actually never wanted to look at Natalie after the first trimester. I just wanted to be a husband. But yeah. And she said, why don't you just take a look at her, too? Actually, it was my wife who uh, instigated that. So... And I looked at it, you know, I looked at the baby and all of a sudden I saw a retroplacental clot, you know, where there was a blood clot sitting right behind the placenta. And, you know, my heart sank. Sure. And of course, so, you know, took her to the hospital. One of my partners confirmed it. And, you know, that was a 29 weeks. And we got very lucky. I mean, this is a, it's not a very common finding a central placental abruption and the patient not delivering uh, within a short few hours after that, 24 to 48 hours after that. So right. Marge made it for another four and a half weeks. So she was considered high risk, going back to our topic for today. Then She was considered high risk at that time. Right. Yeah. Okay. In your practice, do you see a lot of patients, or maybe you don't get this in depth with patients, I'm not sure, that come in with a pregnancy that was unplanned? You know, in our practice, no, in our line of practice, I mean, it's mostly patients that have been trying to get pregnant for a long time or are going through IVF pregnancies. But, you know, this is, you're right, the rate hasn't changed. I mean, it was quoted in the past as anywhere from 40 to 50% of pregnancies are unplanned, which takes us, uh, again, brings us to this topic is how do you prevent complications during your pregnancy, especially, for example, January was uh, Birth uh, Defect Awareness Month. So it's important for women, you know, for reproductive age women to take their prenatal vitamins on a daily basis. You need folic acid. Folic acid reduces the risk of neural tube defect. So it's, uh, 
you know, it's important to make sure you do see a physician or a healthcare provider, your midwife or, you know, your family care uh, practitioner at least once a year just to go over topics. What are the issues? Because you may get pregnant and at least you'd want to you want to know what things to look out for. Okay. well, thank you guys for sharing your perspective on this article. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today we're learning all about high-risk pregnancy. Our expert is Dr. Sean Donishman, which you've already heard as part of our news headline segment. He is a perinatologist at the San Diego Perinatal Center, and he is also the founder of Miracle Babies, an organization providing information and financial support to newborns in the NICU. So Dr. D, as I like to call you, (laughs) welcome to Preggy Pals. Thanks for having me, Sonny. Let's talk about high-risk pregnancy. What is the official definition for it? Well, any pregnancy that has a potential complication for mom, baby, or both is considered high risk. Okay. So, you know, if a mother has pre-existing conditions, for example, mother has a you know a heart defect that was repaired, mom has diabetes, she has, you know, uh, rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, so autoimmune issues, a clotting issue that predisposes her to have clots, okay. uh, that. Uh, predisposes her to complications in pregnancy, so she's considered high risk. And can a pregnancy be labeled as high risk at any point in a pregnancy, or is there like a window? Sure. I mean, there are complications that can happen. A woman can develop something called preeclampsia, which is blood pressures going up during the pregnancy, and that could happen at anywhere after 20 weeks. So if a woman ends up having you know elevated blood pressures and starts spilling protein in her urine at 24 weeks, that's considered a high-risk pregnancy. If a woman develops gestational diabetes mellitus early on in the pregnancy with sugars that are abnormal that require some uh, care that's a high risk pre- that becomes more high risk and this all depends on a high risk pregnancy you know many obstetricians can take care of a high risk pregnancy uh, it just depends on their comfort level and their manpower if you're a solo practitioner you may not have the time uh, to devote to a patient who's got you know bad blood sugar so you may send that patient to a high risk specialist such as myself or one of my partners right. to take care of that patient or they may co-manage the patient Okay. So the patient may have two different doctors then. That Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So if you have had a high-risk pregnancy in the past, are you guaranteed to have another one or what are your odds? I mean, I know nothing's a guarantee in this, right? But what are your odds? So it depends on what it is. I mean, if you've had, uh, for example, if you had a history of a preterm delivery in the past, then you're at, you have an increased risk for having another preterm child. So, but again, many times those those patients are managed by the obstetrician and the perinatologist. So the patient comes in, you know, for serial cervical length assessment. So we look at the the patient's cervical length starting after 16 to 18 weeks. Uh, so many of those can be managed um, together. But let's say the patient had, for example. Um, a baby with a major congenital heart defect. And, uh, you know, when this pregnancy is diagnosed again, there's a 3 to 6% risk that the baby may have it again. Uh, then that's a high-risk pregnancy. A, a woman has, again, pre-existing conditions. A woman has, you know, heart disease, has had a history of a myocardial infarction or heart attack, or has poorly controlled diabetes. She's got type 1 diabetes. That's definitely, again, a high-risk pregnancy with subsequent pregnancies. Mm-hmm. 
But if a woman ends up having, for example, a cesarean section for placenta previa, it doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to have it again. So she can go to her general OB and then be seen again. So there's hope is what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Because absolutely. I'm, I'm thinking some of our listeners may have already had a high-risk pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a difficult pregnancy. And maybe they may not want to have another one because of that. So I just wanted to clarify, just because you had one in, no, in your first absolutely. pregnancy doesn't mean you're going to have it in absolutely. the future. Yeah. Okay. So how is a pregnancy diagnosed as high-risk for example, if uh, mom comes in, one of these unintended, you know, unintended pregnancies comes in and we realize mom has twins, for example, uh, then depending on the placentation, let's say there's one placenta uh, for both babies and babies are in one sack, that's considered a high-risk pregnancy. Uh, let's say mom comes in and she has a condition called placenta previa and she's had a prior cesarean section and we suspect that the placenta is embedding into the muscle of the uterus called the placenta accreta, that's considered high-risk pregnancy. Um, Mom uh, develops, again, like we talked about, comes in and says, I'm not feeling so well. We look at the baby and baby's very growth-restricted and turns out mom has preeclampsia. That's considered a high-risk pregnancy. So, again, it all depends on, you know, it's very important for women to seek preconception consult. So anyone who wants to get pregnant, I mean, if this is you're planning on getting pregnant, always a good idea to see your healthcare provider, whether it's your midwife, your you know again family practitioner, your obstetrician, and uh, you know talk to them about your medical history. You know, is there is there anything remarkable in your history, family history, uh, that uh, that requires further investigation, or at least be knowledgeable about it? So then, are there specific risk factors for high risk pregnancies? So age is a risk factor for high-risk pregnancies. What, so, what age? What so age 17 about? and younger, and usually really 40 and above. I mean, we talk about 35 and above, but 40 and above. You know, uh, women that are 40 and older have an increased independent increased risk for having gestational diabetes, hypertensive-related crises, or preeclampsia. Is that considered advanced maternal age? That's considered advanced maternal age. I mean, anyone 35 and older. I mean, we don't use the term advanced maternal age that much anymore, but... But yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the, all the uh, screening tests that we were offering patients that were, you know, 35, we now offer it to anyone. So a 20-year-old comes in who's pregnant, we offer them the same screening test uh, and diagnostic test. So anyone who's interested in having those screening tests, but certainly women who are 35 and older have an increased uh, risk for having babies with chromosome abnormalities and Down syndrome being the, being the most common. What role does genetics play in all of this? Well, genetics, you know, every every few months, another new screening test comes is, is available. <laughs> right. So Keep you guys on your toes. So genetics has a, you know, genetics, many, we can't really do much about genetics. But one thing we can do is if we know there's a specific, for example, um, anomaly and it's linked to a genetic uh, abnormality, then we can screen for that. Uh, so let's say a woman has a small chromosomal deletion with her last previous pregnancy with that baby. You know, she can have chorionic villa sampling, which is, you know, done in the first trimester or amniocentesis, that specifically looks for that deletion. Um, But, you know, one thing we always talk about is, uh, you know, the genes are there. You know, some parents want to know and many parents don't want to know. It's the environment also that's very important. You you mentioned, again, what constitutes a high-risk pregnancy. Again, also health. You know, obesity is a risk factor. And that, uh, that leads to other complications. 
during pregnancy and after pregnancy. So we said that you could develop a high-risk pregnancy at any point in your pregnancy. So are there certain symptoms that we as pregnant women should be looking out for? I mean, I know we're seeing our doctor and there should be tests done and even tests done even before you're pregnant. But I'm just thinking, especially for women who've already had a high-risk pregnancy, they may be looking for signs. So in general, let's say a woman comes in and she, uh, if there's definitely, if she's had a history of a high-risk pregnancy, then we're going to be looking for those signs. So if a woman has had a history of preterm delivery, then we're going to be looking for, again, signs of preterm labor, you know, cervical shortening, doing a screening test called the fetal fibronectin. Um, So definitely we're going to be looking for those, uh, uh, again, for those signs and symptoms. If a patient comes in, you know, low-risk patient comes in, what are the things we look at? Well, you know, the during the pregnancy, let's say the patient comes in and says, you know, I'm very nauseous, I'm, you know, vomiting a lot, I'm not doing well. Um, you want to look for other uh, abnormalities that can cause those symptoms, such as gallbladder disease because it's a diagnosis of exclusion. Molar pregnancy sometimes can cause those symptoms. Uh, hyperthyroidism, so abnormalities in your thyroid gland can cause those symptoms. Um, then in the first trimester, we also do their prenatal labs. You know, there's there could be abnormalities in the labs, such as, for example, antibodies to their blood type. Uh, then in the first trimester, we also do a screening test called the nuchal translucency, and that we're looking at the baby, and it's also uh, that screening test is uh, to screen for Down syndrome and uh, another chromosome abnormality. It's a trisomy, trisomy 18, and it's also a screening test for cardiac defects. So let's say in that screening test, for example, the baby comes, uh, comes back having an increased nuchal fold, uh, measurement or having any abnormalities because we can we can tell a lot now with babies in the first trimester even we can you know just recently I saw a patient who had multiple multiple abnormalities diagnosed you know we're seeing her at 11 and a half weeks uh, so that you know that uh, designates her as a high-risk pregnancy. And then you need, in the second trimester, then you have your, again, quad screen, which again screens for Down syndrome, trisomy 18, neural tube defects, and something called Smith-Limley-Opitz syndrome, which is a cholesterol synthesis abnormality. And then you have your anatomy scan. Let's say that anatomy scan, we, say, we see a baby that we suspect has a heart defect. Then that's when you meet with a genetic counselor. You talk about its association with chromosome abnormalities. The patients may decide to do an amniocentesis or or do a blood test that looks for fetal RNA in their in the maternal blood, and then from there, again, if it is uh, confirmed, then the patient has to go see a cardiologist and get the whole team right, right. of players. A woman ends up, uh, you know, has a high risk, for example, for diabetes because her mom has diabetes, her sister has diabetes, or her last baby, you know, she had diabetes and that, you know, and she screens positive for diabetes, so she may have had pre-existing diabetes before the pregnancy. So that constitutes her as high risk. So, you know, throughout the whole pregnancy, you're looking for any signs of symptoms. And that's why it's important to uh, seek prenatal care early, you know, early in the pregnancy and also, you know, keep your appointment. Right. And really have a good rapport with your obstetrician and talk to them. You know, you know, I just had a patient who came in recently and said, um, oh, Dr. D, you know, I've been having this itchiness, by the way, for the past uh, several months, you know, two months. Well, there's a condition in pregnancy called cholestasis, which is stasis of bile, and that, that carries a risk to the pregnancy. So, and I asked her, I said, I'm glad you told me this today, mm-hmm. but I wish you would have told me this a month ago, you <laughs> right, know, or two right. months ago when you found out. So right. keep an open rapport with your patient. And, and your physician. And no symptom is too small. And no symptom is too small. I mean, that's what they're there for. Right. I mean, talk right. about your symptoms, you know, uh, you know, have an open discussion. You got to feel comfortable with your healthcare provider. I have a question for you then. Um, my first trimester lab test, I came back with a low-grade bladder infection and strep B in my urine, and I did not have that with my first two. And so they mentioned that when I'm actually 
in labor and delivering that I'll need to have some antibiotics. So group B streptococcus is, uh, is a bacteria that resides in our intestinal tract. In 2002, you know, the CDC did a multicenter study looking at, um, in the past we used to treat patients uh, based on risk factors. So a woman would come in pre- in preterm labor, for example, at 25 weeks, she would get antibiotics. Why? Because we noticed that in the 1980s, when we were given antibiotics to patients, that there were fewer NICU admissions. There were fewer babies that were getting admitted to the hot, to the uh, new, uh, newborn nursery getting antibiotics. So we started looking at group B strep, which is a bacteria that's uh, classified by Rebecca, by Rebecca Lansfield, like strep throat, strep A, group B is in our intestinal tract. So if a woman has it, if the bacteria is colonized in her vagina, which it comes from the intestinal tract, from the, from the anus, uh, and it's a very normal flora. 10 to 30% of women have it. If there's high colonization of it, uh, Jen, it could be in the vagina. So, and it could be in your urine. So, in the 2002 CDC uh, multicenter study, we realized that 18% of the women that had the bacteria in the vagina did not have the risk factors. So, in the US, we adopted the culture technique. So, women at 36 weeks or 37 weeks get a culture swab of their uh, outside introitus of their vagina because of the bacteria's. You know, inside has got to be right at the outside, and of their anal sphincter. And if they screen positive for it, they get antibiotics in labor. If you have bacteria in your urine, that signifies a high colonization, and that means you should get antibiotics when you go into labor. Okay. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about what type of care you should expect to receive if you have a high-risk pregnancy. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we are talking about high-risk pregnancy and what you can expect. And our special guest is Dr. Sean Donishman. He is a perinatologist at the San Diego Perinatal Center. So, Dr. D, let's talk about what women should expect if they are diagnosed with having a high-risk pregnancy. I know you're a perinatologist. Do they automatically go and see a perinatologist, or what does that look like? So, it depends, honey, on what the condition is. For example, if a woman has quadruplets, usually they directly go to a perinatologist and see that perinatologist. If a woman is diagnosed, for example, with gestational diabetes mellitus and mm-hmm. requires some care with her, uh, with her insulin, for example, intake, then she may be co-managed with a perinatologist. So a perinatologist is basically an obstetrician who's done two to three years more in, of training in just high-risk pregnancies. And, uh, and really, again, it depends on the comfort level and the manpower of the obstetrician. So if an OB has, you know, several partners and, uh, you know, she doesn't have to be on call, you know, frequently and can manage a patient who's got some abnormal blood sugars, then a lot of times they just co-manage it with the, with the perinatologist. The patient comes into the perinatologist's office, gets an ultrasound, goes over their blood sugars, and um, it's basically a team effort. A lot of times what we do is we really manage the team. For example, a baby is diagnosed with a heart defect. We're the ones who are coordinating uh, the care of this patient and the unborn baby with the obstetrician, with the pediatric cardiologist, with the cardiothoracic surgeon, with the neonatologist at at hospitals, for example, at if at my hospital at Mary Birch, and also at Children's Hospital because that's where the baby's going to be going for surgery, and uh, so we're kind of the middle person making sure that this patient gets the best care they need. Okay, 
And how are high-risk pregnancies treated? Like what, what can you expect if you are diagnosed with having a high-risk pregnancy? So it depends, you know, again, on the condition. For example, if a patient has a condition called vasoprevia, which is anything in front of the cervix is called a, is called a previa. So if there are fetal vessels in front of the cervix, that's called a vasoprevia, and that's something we look at on ultrasound on every patient that we see. So if a patient has this condition, this patient is going to be admitted to the hospital anywhere from 28 to 32 weeks and delivered at about 35 weeks. Uh, if the patient has, for example, what we talked about earlier with Jen is has something called um, um, Momo twins, which is monochorionic, one placenta and one sac, which both uh, uh, twins reside in, then that mom gets admitted to the hospital at 24, 26, 27, 28 weeks, depending on what the mom decides after she speaks, for example, to the neonatologist, and uh, until the duration, because it's a high risk that, you know, one of the babies could pass away, and since they're sharing the same placenta, and many times uh, exchanging blood, that the other baby can have some neurologic damage or pass away. So we monitor those babies a lot more carefully. So it really depends on what the condition is. Okay. In general, are we talking about at least more appointments, more ultrasounds? Oh, it's certainly a lot more uh, appointments. So if a woman comes in at the age of 40, for example, in my practice, you know, this patient is obviously, we talked about, you know, the genetic screenings. um, And also then since they're at risk for uh, hypertension, diabetes, they get an early screening for diabetes. They get a second one when they're in the third trimester. They get every month, they get an ultrasound. I actually ask all my patients who are 40 and above to get a blood pressure monitor starting at 20 weeks to check their blood pressures. You know, they have to go for something called non stress test, mm-hmm. you know, around 34 weeks. I did that weeks. for gestational diabetes. Yeah. Yeah. So around 34 weeks, they do that and, you know, twice a week. That's again another objective way of reassuring ourselves that our babies are happy. And um, so, absolutely, definitely a lot more. A lot more appointments. What about testing? And this may depend on the condition, but are there a lot more tests that are done and are any of those tests invasive that really need to be done? Probably that, you know, the, if, there, if you find any kind of abnormality with the baby, then, uh, you know, again, we always talk about, you know, there's usually a, you know, we always suspect, um, could there be a chromosome abnormality associated with that? Mm-hmm. So if there's a heart defect, you know, could the baby have a chromosome uh, defect? So more ultrasounds amniocentesis possibly. Um, and again, it depends on what the patients are going to do with it. Uh, some patients just want it for information. But, you know, knowing the chromosomes in a care in, in the care of an anomalous baby, a baby that has a you know, heart defect, uh, will help definitely uh, coordinate the management of the baby. But again, it depends. Many patients, you leave it up to the patients. You provide them with the information and uh, the patients will decide. Yeah, we actually did an episode for Preggy Pals on genetic testing. So it was only a few episodes ago. So if you guys are listening to this, I know we've been talking a lot about genetic testing. Um, So we actually had someone come in and talk about that. So you guys can refer to that episode for more information. Are there ways that we can try to prevent some of this stuff? Like what what can we do, you know, in in going into a new pregnancy? Obviously, there's, there's tests and stuff that can be done prior to know what our risk factors are and what our odds are. But if we're just starting out in a pregnancy or maybe we're at the end, well, what can we do? to just have a healthier pregnancy in general? Well, take your folic acid. So take a prenatal vitamin every day, uh, regardless of whether you're planning on getting pregnant or not. Because again, like we talked about, we said a a third of patients get pregnant without uh, Mm -hmm. planning. Uh, Avoid, you know, make sure you're eating very well. Again, one thing I tell all my patients is, you know, the the genes are there from you and your partner, but the environment is something you can control. So make sure you're eating very healthy. Cut out sugar, cut out the preservatives, start exercising your mind and your body. And um, 
and increase your fiber intake. So that's something that's extremely important. Like we talked about again, obesity has many complications during pregnancy, not only for the mother, but for the child as well. So there's a direct correlation between, you know, maternal body weight and baby. Uh, so babies are tend to be larger, you know, when they're born, they tend to be heavier. And, and, um, and that's, as you know, is a huge problem right now here in the US for us, uh, with children being diagnosed with type two diabetes and hypertension. Uh, other things is, uh, you know, when you're planning on getting pregnant, obviously try to avoid alcohol. Smoking is a no, no, because, you know, our hemoglobin loves carbon monoxide. And that's again, <laughs> not a good thing for our babies. Um, and again, if you have any pre-existing conditions, you know, such as hypertension, diabetes, any genetic issues that you've had, uh, you know, mom has had a clotting disorder, grandma had a clotting disorder, you know, had a pulmonary embolism, definitely get preconception counseling. Get informed before you get pregnant. That's probably the best advice. That's, that's one thing that could change the course of the pregnancy. What advice do you have for women out there who may have just been diagnosed with a high-risk pregnancy? Make sure you're informed uh, as much as possible. Um, uh, speak to your obstetrician. Speak to your perinatologist. Have a good rapport with them. Again, that's really crucial. I mean, a lot of times patients don't go to the internet so much. <laughs> it know. can really scare you. <laughs> We've all had that, yeah. right? Yes. I mean, I think it's very <laughs> difficult. I mean, a lot of the information we get is from the internet. And, you know, patients come in and all of a sudden they're told, you know, there's an abnormality with your baby. And next thing you know, they're on the internet. And, you know, a lot of times they do get scared with some of the information they find on there. And that's why, again, it's important to find a team of people that you can speak to, you can talk to, you can address questions with. Um, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of, one thing to remember is you're not alone. There are a lot of women, unfortunately, out there and families that are going through these difficult times. I mean, this is just, you know, every time a patient comes in, I tell them, unfortunately, I saw, you know, I've, I've talked to three other patients, for example, in the last two weeks about this condition. So remember, you're not alone. And uh, there's help out there. And there are people that are willing to help. So are there certain resources that you would recommend? Yeah, absolutely. For example, for Down syndrome, there's a great resource here in San Diego. Uh, even for cystic fibrosis, there's a great resource. I mean, there are um, the best people to know about those are your genetic counselors. Okay. So, you know, uh, ask to be referred to those and just even Googling them. But San Diego has a great program for babies with Down syndrome where moms can meet uh, other parents. Uh, a lot of uh, excellent resources for those parents so they don't feel like they're alone. And again, early intervention is is key. And other cities will probably have those type of resources. Oh, absolutely, too. absolutely. Okay, great. All right, Dr. D, well, thank you so much oh, for you, joining Sonia. us today. Do you have a question about a high-risk pregnancy? You can ask Dr. D. Simply call our voicemail at 619-866-4775 and leave us a message or email us through our website and we'll include the answer on a future episode. For members of our Preggy Pals Club, the conversation continues as we explore your chances of having a C-section with a high-risk pregnancy. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Before we wrap up today's show, here's Dr. Danny Singley with tips on becoming a new dad. Hi, Preggy Pals. My name is Dr. Daniel Singley. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in men's issues and founder of Basic Training for New Dads. These days, new fathers are expected to be much more involved with their newborn baby's care. However, we tend not to have much in the way of models or clear roadmaps about how to do so. 
This segment addresses how our own father's modeling and stereotypes about dads in the media can play a role in how new dads think about themselves as fathers. Often, dads in U.S. culture are overtly or subtly excluded from parenting roles. There's often a supportive network of experienced mothers, like family, friends, and neighbors, that support a new mother, but who will often criticize a new father's lack of knowledge about bathing, diapering, feeding, etc. Fathers are then less likely to engage in these tasks and to leave them to the mother, which makes it less likely that the dad will have the same kind of transformation in goals, values, and relationship expectations that women do. Some examples of negative stereotypes in the media include children's books. 50% of children's books that include a reference to a parent have only mom as the parent. And in television commercials, females are 50% more likely to be seen as parents, 50% more likely to be nurturing or comforting a child, and 600% more likely to be involved in teaching a child. Think about the implications of leaving Homer Simpson to take care of Maggie with Marge nowhere to be found, and the light bulb is likely to go off for you. A related issue is what I call the dad's generation gap. In general, men who are now having their first child are likely to have come from a family with fairly traditional Ozzy and Harriet roles. Commonly, fathers of men in the current generation were fairly uninvolved with the care of their infants or children, and were often coming from the place of, well, I'll step in when the kid can throw a ball or needs straightening out. However, society expects men having children these days to be daddy 2.0 and to be involved. So the issue is that without much in the way of concrete models or instruction about how to do so, the lack of involved male dad or father figures and the pervasive stereotype of the bumbling dad can result in him disengaging when the stress of adjusting to the role of new dad hits. So what to do? Moms, be proactive about giving dad very clear instructions about how he can be directly involved in the baby's care as soon as possible. With the basics, bathing, changing, swaddling, soothing, giving the bottle, dad will develop the confidence to stay involved. Also, as soon as feasible, give dad alone time with the baby. Nothing says, I'm totally a solid dad, like taking care of the tater tot by going out for a walk or a drive to the store along with a well-stocked baby bag. Have your eyes and ears open to people, media, and long-standing ideas that give the message that dads just aren't cut out to handle infants. Dads, you're well-equipped to be very engaged as a partner and dad, so roll up your sleeves, crank up the diaper genie, and get in there when it's game time. Thanks very much for listening, and I hope this information has been helpful. I'm Dr. Daniel Singley at NewDadsClass.com, and be sure to keep listening to Preggy Pals for more tips on how new dads can make the most of their journey into new fatherhood. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Preggy Pals. Don't forget to check out our sister shows, Parent Savers, for parents with newborns, infants, and toddlers, and our show, The Boop Group, for moms who breastfeed their babies. Coming up next week, we're continuing our series on pregnancy exercises. Did you know you can get a great workout simply by wearing your baby or pushing a stroller? Find out how. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, 
Please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.